You're listening to the Bank of Marquis Movie Podcast. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. What is so dangerous about a character like Ferris Bueller is he gives good kids bad ideas. Why should he get to skip school when everybody else has to go? Syphilitic meningitis. He never gets caught. This guy in my biology class said that if Ferris dies, he's giving his eyes to Stevie Wonder. Well, he's very popular, Ed. I recall Central Park in fall. Ferris Bueller, do you know him? Yeah, he's getting me out of summer school. They think he's a righteous dude. Think he'll be alive this weekend? I can see him denying popular beliefs, setting off on some impossible mission. Jeopardizes my ability to effectively govern this student body. He does whatever he wants. You know, as long as I've known him, everything works for him. Whatever he wants. He's very cool, and he never gets nailed. Ferris can do anything. Oh, he's such a sweetie. Wake up and smell the coffee, Mrs. Bueller. It's a fool's paradise. He is just leading you down the primrose path. Matthew Broderick. Bueller. Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller's day off. Because life is too beautiful a thing to waste. And that, of course, is the trailer to the 1986 American teen comedy film Ferris Bueller's Day Off, directed, produced, and written by John Hughes. Hi, this is Andy, and I like movies. All sorts of movies. From classic Hollywood movies, that's movies made before 1960, to modern Hollywood movies, that's movies from 1990 and on, to new Hollywood movies, movies from 1960 to 1990, and that includes this film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off from 1986. The film stars Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller, a high school slacker who spends a day off from school with Mia Sarah and Alan Ruck as his friends. Now, the interesting thing about this movie is that Ferris regularly breaks the fourth wall to explain his techniques and inner thoughts to the audience. Hughes wrote the screenplay for this film in less than a week and called it a love letter to Chicago. And it features many landmarks, including what was then known as the Sears Tower and the Art Institute of Chicago. Says Hughes, I really wanted to capture as much of Chicago as I could, not just in the architecture and landscape, but the spirit. Now, Hughes said that he had Matthew Broderick in mind when he wrote the screenplay, saying Broderick was the only actor he could think of who could pull off the role, calling him clever and charming. He also added that Jimmy Stewart could have played Ferris. Filming began in September 1985 and finished in November of that year. Temperatures expected to reach the upper 70s. And now, up in the sky, Don Nelson Skyview traffic. Thanks, Ferris. Ferris? Now we open the movie with a child who is sick in bed. This is Ferris Bueller, and his parents are very worried about their child. What's the matter, Ferris? Standing by is his sister, Jeannie, who isn't buying his fake sick act. You get to school. Wait, you're letting him stay home? I can't believe this. If I was bleeding out my eyes, you guys would make me go to school. This is so unfair. Jeannie, 
Please don't be upset with me. And in act it is. You have your help. Ferris is a schemer. They bought it. The key to faking out the parents is the clammy hands. It's a good non-specific symptom. I'm a big believer in it. A lot of people will tell you that a good phony fever is a deadlock, but uh, you get a nervous mother, you could wind up in a doctor's office. Now, director-writer John Hughes lets Ferris break the fourth wall and talk directly to the camera, and utters his motto for life. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. We then move to a boring teacher, Ben Stein, taking attendance in a way that has become a pop culture phenomenon. Adams. Here. Adam Lee. Here. Adamowski. Adamson. Here. Adler. Here. Anderson. Anderson. Here. Bueller. 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 Um, he's sick. Now Ferris calls his best friend Cameron, Alan Ruck, who is really sick. Ferris invites him to come over for Where the day you? off. I'm taking the day off. Now get dressed and come on over. You can't stupid, I'm sick. If anybody needs a day off, it's Cameron. He has a lot of things to sort out before he graduates. Now the principal at Ferris's high school, Jeffrey Jones, does not trust Ferris and is out to get him. Then you are aware that your son is not in school today? Yes, I am. Ferris is homesick. Are you also aware, Mrs. Bueller, that Ferris does not have what we consider to be an exemplary attendance record? In the opinion of this educator, Ferris is not taking his academic growth seriously. Now, I've spent my morning examining his records. If Ferris thinks that he can just coast through this month and still graduate, he is sorely mistaken. I have no reservation whatsoever about holding him back for another year. <laughs> so far this semester, he has been absent nine times. Nine times? Nine times. I don't remember him being sick nine times. That's probably because... Now, director-writer John Hughes really had a knack in the 80s for tapping into the high school zeitgeist, like this scene of a very boring school lecture. In 1930, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the... Anyone? Anyone? The Great Depression, passed the... Anyone? Anyone? A tariff bill, the Hawley-Smoot Tariff Act, which... Anyone raised or lowered, raised tariffs. Now, the success or failure of this film rests on the ability of the audience to root for a truant student who is flaunting the rules. And this film succeeds greatly because of the charm of Matthew Broderick in the title role. So let's talk about Matthew Broderick. This is class. Anyone? Okay, Matthew Broderick. Born in Manhattan, the son of actor James Broderick, who you'll probably remember from the TV series Family from the late 70s. An actor who is as much at home on the stage as he is on the screen. Uh, Broderick's first major acting role came in an HB Studio Workshop production of playwright Horton Foote's On Valentine's Day, playing opposite his father. This was followed by a supporting role as Harvey Firestein's gay adopted son David in the off-Broadway production of Firestein's Torch Song Trilogy which brought him to the attention of Neil Simon, who cast him as Eugene Morris Jerome in his play Brighton Beach Memoirs and the sequel Biloxi Blues. 
He won the Tony Award for Best Feature Actor in a Play for his role in Brighton Beach Memoirs in 1983. That same year, he debuted in film in Max Dugan Returns, which is kind of a fun Disney family comedy mystery starring uh, Broderick and uh, Jason Robards. His first big film hit was War Games, Shall We Play a Game, uh, in 1983, and was followed up by the role of Philippe Gaston in Lady Hawk, which is a very interesting sword and sorcery type movie with Rutger Hauer and Michelle Pfeiffer, and I must say, a miscast Matthew Broderick. He appeared in 12 Broadway performances, starting with Brighton Beach Memoirs and Biloxi Blues in the early 80s, following up with How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying in 1995-96. Then the mega hit The Producers when Broderick took on the Gene Wilder role opposite Nathan Lane in the Zero Mostel role. He then reteamed with Producers co-star Nathan Lane in a production of The Odd Couple and also starred in the musical Nice Work If You Can Get It in 2012 and in Sylvia in 2015. As for the movies, uh, he followed uh, Lady Hawk up with Ferris Bueller's Day Off in 1986, and then Project X in 1987, where he played opposite a monkey. He then reprised the role of Eugene Morris Jerome in the movie version of Biloxi Blues in 1988, and in an interesting departure, played Colonel Robert Gould Shaw in the Civil War film Glory, which won Denzel Washington his first Academy Award. And if you haven't seen Glory, it's a very good film. In 1990, he starred opposite Marlon Brando in an interesting send-up of The Godfather and certainly of Brando himself, a movie called The Freshman. And if you haven't seen this, check out this curiosity. It's, um, it's interesting. And then in 1994, he had his biggest hit, voicing the lion Simba in Disney's The Lion King. Uh, he bounced around in movies and TV from there, doing The Cable Guy, The Road to Wellville, uh, the remake of Godzilla in 1998, which is not very good. And then he did an interesting independent film called Election opposite a young Reese Witherspoon. And then, of course, was Inspector Gadget in 1999, which was okay. He took on another musical, this time on a TV adaption of The Music Man, playing Professor Harold Hill opposite Kristen Chenoweth as Mary and the Librarian in a production that was okay, but not great. Then he's bounced around since then, again, going back and forth between uh, TV and movies, uh, most recently playing Ralphie as an adult on A Christmas Story, the musical Live on TV, which was a Fox TV live production of A Christmas Story, the musical. And he has been married to actress Sarah Jessica Parker since 1997. I don't trust this kid any further than I can throw him. Well, with your bad knee, Ed, you shouldn't throw anybody. Now, Principal Rooney declares his hatred for Ferris to his secretary, Grace, Edie McClurg, in a career-defining supporting role. Well, makes you look like an ass is what he does, Ed. Thank you, Grace. I think you're wrong. Oh, well, he's very popular, Ed. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. Cameron and Ferris get Ferris's girlfriend, Sloane Peterson, Mia Sarah, out of school by calling a school and faking the death of her grandmother. So let's talk about the two actors playing Ferris's friends, Alan Ruck and Mia Sarah. When Mia Farrah burst on the scene in 1984 and 85 with back-to-back movies Legend and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I thought she was going to be the next super-duper star. 
Uh, for those of you who don't remember Legend, it's the Wait. Tom Cruise vehicle, uh, kind of a sword and sandals fantasy film where uh, Tom Cruise and Mia Sara fight a uh, devilish-looking Tim Curry. It was directed by Ridley Scott and had such high expectations for that movie, and it really wasn't very good. But certainly, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was top-notch, and she was top-notch in it. She then bounced around on some TV uh, and a few movies here and there and landed in the 1994 Jean-Claude Van Damme time travel film, Time Cop, which is actually a pretty decent film. Uh, I rather enjoyed it. After that, she kind of disappeared and went into semi-retirement, probably because she married into Hollywood royalty, marrying Jason Connery, who is the son of Sean Connery. They had one child and then divorced in the early 2000s. And around that time, then, she landed the role of Harley Quinn in the WB's series, Birds of Prey. Soon after, she met and married Brian Henson, who is the son of Muppets creator Jim Henson. Alan Ruck, on the other hand, is a veritable that-guy actor who you've seen in a number of things. He has over 112 credits on IMDb. Certainly the first and most famous thing you would know him for is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But then he shows up in Young Guns and as one of the passengers in Speed, as well as the captain of the new Enterprise in the Star Trek movie Star Trek Generations, which bounced between the old classic Star Trek characters and the next generation. Uh, Alan Ruck's captain was kind of in between Captain Kirk and Captain Picard. Ever since then, he bounced around to all sorts of things. Uh, Mad About You, you uh, the TV series The Exorcist. Most recently, My Dinner with Hervé, which was a TV movie about Hervé Villages. The Plane, The Plane, that guy. The remake of One Day at a Time and the film Captive State. Cameron and Ferris go to pick Sloan up in Cameron's father's car. The 1961 Ferrari 250 GT, California. Less than a hundred were made. My father spent three years restoring this car. It is his love, it is his passion. It is his fault he didn't lock the garage. Ferris, what are you talking about? Ferris, my father loves this car more than life itself. A man with priorities so far out of whack doesn't deserve such a fine automobile. No, no. Apparently, you don't understand. Wow. Ferris, he never drives it. He just rubs it with a diaper. Hey, remember how... Off go Cameron, Ferris, and Sloan on their adventures. In Cameron's father's car, and they head to downtown Chicago. Get better. Now, director John Hughes has stated that this film is a love letter to Chicago. And he wasn't kidding. So let's talk about director John Hughes. Well, for a generation, John Hughes was the voice directing a plethora of beloved films that dove into the teen zeitgeist of the time. Born in 1950 in Lansing, Michigan, his family moved to Chicago where Hughes would fall in love and spend many of his time making many of his movies about this city. He was a writer for National Lampoon in the 70s then got his big break in show business writing for the TV series Delta House, which was the TV adaptation of the film Animal House, which was, of course, a National Lampoon film. 
Uh, he then wrote the f- screenplay for National Lampoon's Vacation and Mr. Mom. He then wrote and directed 16 Candles in 1984, starring Amali Ringwald and is one of the greatest uh, films, certainly of the 80s, of the teen experience. He would then go on to make three or four other films that were exactly right for the time, uh, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Pretty in Pink, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and capped by Some Kind of Wonderful in 1987. He then would branch out from teen comedies to do the wonderful Planes, Trains, and Automobiles starring Steve Martin and John Candy, which has become a staple for Thanksgiving movies since it is one of the few films that was written about Thanksgiving, or, or certainly the events of the movie take place around Thanksgiving time. Uh, he then directed She's Having a Baby, which was in a young adult comedy with uh, Elizabeth McGovern and uh, Kevin Bacon, and then went right back to the John Candy well for the great and hilarious Uncle Buck. His last directing credits was Curly Sue in 1991. Um, since then, he wrote a ton of other things, but never directed again, which is interesting. Um, he died suddenly of a heart attack in 2015. In Chicago, Ferris, Sloan, and Cameron check out the sites, the Hancock Tower, the Sears Tower, the Stock Exchange, and have lunch at one of the most exclusive places in Chicago, Chez Louis, by pretending to be someone who has a reservation there. Hello, may I help you? You can sure as hell try. Hi, I'm Abe Froman. Party of three for 12. Is there a problem? You're Abe Froman. That's right. I'm Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. Now, side fact, this restaurant is the same one Jake and Elwood terrorized in the Blues Brothers in 1980. And it's also the same restaurant from St. Elmo's Fire in 1985. In the meantime, Ferris's sister, Jeannie, Jennifer Grey, is seething in rage. Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe Ferris isn't such a bad guy. After all, I got a car, he got a computer. But still, why should he get to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants? Why should everything work out for him? What makes him so goddamn special? Screw him. Hello, Jeannie. Who's bothering you now? Is Mr. Rooney in? No, I'm sorry. He's not. Can I help you? And now a few words about Jennifer Grey. Born in New York City in 1960, Jennifer Grey is the daughter of Broadway legend Joel Grey and the granddaughter of famed Yiddish musician-comedian Mickey Katz. Gray got her start in the New York theater, starring first in the off-Broadway hit album and later on Broadway in The Twilight of the Golds. After acclaimed supporting performances in such films as The Cotton Club and Red Dawn in the early 1980s, Gray became a star when she played Jeannie, the jealous sister of Ferris Bueller in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. This led to her now iconic performance as Frances Baby Houseman in the beloved classic Dirty Dancing opposite Patrick Swayze. Now her work in that film earned her a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress. Other major film roles include Wind, Bloodhounds of Broadway, co-starring Ferris Bueller co-star Alan Rock, Bounce, and Red Belt. On television, Gray played herself on the hit sitcom It's Like You Know by Seinfeld co-producer Peter Melman. 
She starred in numerous TV movies, including The West Side Waltz with Shirley MacLaine, Liza Minnelli, and Kathy Bates, HBO's Fallen Angels, Murder in Mississippi, and The Road to Christmas. She appeared in a recurring role in David Milch's HBO series, John from Cincinnati, and has also guested on Friends and The New Adventures of Old Christine. Gray currently lives in Los Angeles with her husband, actor Clark Gregg, who you would know as Agent Coulson in the Marvel movies, and a 13-year-old daughter. Principal Rooney decides to check on Ferris, searching for him in all his familiar haunts. Whilst he is doing this, let's talk about Principal Rooney, actor Jeffrey Jones. Born in Buffalo, New York in 1946, actor Jeffrey Jones was a well-known stage actor uh, who received great reviews for his excellent work in The Elephant Man and Neil Simon's London Suite on Broadway, as well as being a member of the famed acting troupe at the Guthrie Theatre in Minneapolis. His first major TV role was in The Addams Chronicles, a TV miniseries of 1976 where he played John Adams. From there, he guest starred in TV series like Kojak and Remington Steele before making it big in the 1984 Academy Award-winning film Amadeus, where he played Emperor Joseph II. Kind of a buffoonish characterization of the emperor who, when asked to critique Mozart's work, said, Too many notes. From there, he played a couple of um, a-hole characters, Ed Rooney in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Dr. Walter Jennings in Howard the Duck, both in 1986, as well as playing Thomas Jefferson in George Washington, The Forging of a Nation. And then in 1988, he played Charles in Beetlejuice. Uh, since then, he has been a character actor and a that-guy-looking person in such films as The Hunt for Red October, Mom and Dad Save the World, Ed Wood, The Crucible, The Devil's Advocate, Stuart Little, Company Man, Dr. Doolittle 2, before landing the role of A.W. Merrick in the TV series Deadwood from 2004 to 2006. His acting has been limited since then, but he did appear in Deadwood the movie in 2019. Ferris and gang, check out a Cubs game at Wrigley Field. Hey, damn it. Do you realize if we played by the rules right now, we'd be in gym? <laughs> Rooney heads to Ferris's house, parking by a fire hydrant. That won't come back to bite him. Convinced that Ferris is faking it and not at home, he clumsily attempts to break into Ferris's house losing a shoe in the mud, getting sprayed by the hose, and splitting his pants, amongst other things. Oh, mud. We then cut to the garage attendants putting many, many, many miles on Cameron's father's car.
back at Ferris's house, Rudy attempts to climb in through the doggy door, but is attacked by a ferocious guard dog. Hi, doggy. Hey, boy. I don't know. Stay. Ferris, Cameron, and Sloan continue their adventures at the art museum. In some wonderful imagery, Hughes poses the trio in a way that mimics the paintings they are looking at. They then attend a parade, and Ferris is on one of the floats. This, indeed, is a fantasy. We'd like to play a little tune for you. It's one of my personal favorites. And I'd like to dedicate it to a young man who doesn't think he's seen anything good today. Cameron Fry, this one's for you. Side fact, the parade sequence was filmed during the Von Steuben Day Parade, an annual Ferris event in the Chicago Land area. It's going to be a Now this parade scene and the accomplishing angst that Cameron juxtaposes against it is Hughes at his finest, showing the carefree adventures of youth with the struggles of growing up and growing out of youth. Ferris's sister comes home and figures out that Ferris is faking it. I knew it! Oh! Rooney follows her in, surprising Jeannie, who kicks his butt. Rooney's car is then towed, and he drops his wallet in the Bueller kitchen. And then, of course, Cameron's dad's car is returned and they realize that the car has been driven. A lot. Here's where Cameron goes berserk.
Now, to be honest, while Broderick's turn as Ferris is the fun, joy, and irreverence of this film, it is Alan Ruck's portrayal of Cameron that I think is the most open, honest, and raw performance here. Ruck has never been finer and never approaches the level that he achieves in this film. It is an unexpectedly strong performance. What is that? Ferris Bueller, you're my hero. You're kidding? Oh. Wow, that's pretty impressive, man. You bitch. <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. I'm really mad. I'm really mad. Get him. Come on. Toss him. Hey, you. Toss him in the air. Get him. Shoot him. Now, Jeannie goes to the police department to fill out a report on the intruder. There she meets a hood, played by a then-unknown Charlie Sheen, and it is an unexpected, profound performance in a high school film. What do you care if your brother ditches school? Why should he get to ditch when everybody else has to go? You could ditch. Yeah, I'd get caught. So you're pissed off because he ditches and doesn't get caught, is that it? Basically. Basically. And your problem is you. Excuse me? Excuse you. You ought to spend a little more time dealing with yourself, a little less time worrying about what your brother does. That's just an opinion. Mm. What are you, a psychiatrist? No. Why don't you keep your opinions to yourself? As Ferris, Cameron, and Sloan try to run the car backwards to wind the speedometer backwards, it doesn't work that way, by the way. Finally, he comes clean about his relationship with his dad. My old man pushes me around. I never say anything. Well, he's not the problem. I'm the problem. He then starts kicking his dad's car and runs the car off its block into reverse and out the window, crashing the car into the woods behind his house. I can't wait to see the look on the bastard's face. What'd I do? What'd I do? You killed the car. To be honest, Cameron's breakthrough is really the heart of this film. Cameron, it's my fault. I'll take the heat for it. We'll wait for your father to come home, and when he gets here, I'll tell him that I did it. He hates me anyway. No. I'll take it. No, I'll take it. No. No. You don't want this much heat. I want it. If I didn't want it, I wouldn't have let you take the car out this morning. I made you take the car this morning. I could have stopped you. It is possible to stop Mr. Ferris Bueller, you know. No. I want it, I'm gonna take it. That's it. When Morris comes home, he and I'll just have a little chat. It's cool. No, it's gonna be good. Thanks anyway. First of all, I don't know why she wasn't in school. And second of all, I, I just can't believe she came to you with a story about an intruder. Mrs. Bueller comes to the police station to pick up Jean, who is making out with the bad boy. Well, I really appreciate your calling me, really. 
I can assure you that her father and I are going to have a long talk with her when we get home. Thank you so much. <clears throat> you didn't tell me your name. Oh, well, it's it's Jean, but uh, a lot of a lot of guys call me Shauna. Okay, Jean. <laughs> That's great. Um, um, I'll see you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now. Sloan and Ferris say goodbye. You knew what you were doing when you woke up this morning, didn't you? I have to go. I'll call you tonight. Okay. I love you. I love you too. He's gonna marry me. Ferris rushes home to beat his mom, sister, and dad home. Now, Jeannie almost runs into Ferris and realizes that it's a race home. If she gets there first, Ferris is busted. close the damn deal with the Vermont people. Sorry. I was going to take my commission and buy Ferris a car. Jeannie, what the hell are you doing? You trying to kill us? God, look at this mess. Paper all over the place. I'll never get this back in order. Ferris gets home first, but can't find the key to the house, because Rooney was there first. Looking for this? I got you, Ferris. How would you feel about another year of high school? Under my close, personal supervision. Hi. But Jeannie saves the day. Thank God you're all right. You know, we've been worried sick about you. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Rooney, for driving him home. I want you to go upstairs and get in bed. Ferris hops into bed right before his parents open the door to his room and check on him. Honey. He's still awfully warm. How do you feel? 150% better. Thank you. And then Ferris leaves us one last bone yep. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. The credits roll with a scene of Rooney limping home and then hopping on the school bus to get home. It was a highly innovative approach to credits at the time. Hey, Mr. Rooney! What's going on? Did you get in a fight? You want a lift?
And don't forget one of the first end credit scenes in movie history. You're still here? It's over. Go. Postscript. This film opened on June 15, 1986 to an opening weekend box office of $6.2 making back its $6 million cost right away. It ended up with total earnings of over $70 million, and it subsequently became the 10th highest grossing film of 1986. Now, the film largely received positive reviews from critics. Roger Ebert gave it 3 out of 4 stars, calling it one of the most innocent movies in a long time and a sweet, warm-hearted comedy. Broderick was nominated for a Golden Globe Award in 1986 for Best Actor, Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. As an influential and popular film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off has been included in many film rating lists. The film is number 54 on Bravo's 100 Funniest Movies and came in 26 in the British 50 Greatest Comedy Films and ranked number 10 on Entertainment Weekly's list of the 50 Best High School Movies. It is included among the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die, edited by Steven Schneider. And in 2014, it was added to the National Film Registry by the United States Library of Congress. Now, the idea of a sequel has gone around for years with Ferris in college or on the job somewhere, but the idea was dropped. Matthew Broderick felt that the film didn't need a sequel, that this film was about a specific time and place that we'd all like to revisit and didn't need updating. I think he's right. The high school, Shermer High School, is the same high school in which Weird Science, Sixteen Candles, and The Breakfast Club takes place, all within the John Hughes universe. Next time on the Bank of Marquis Movies Podcast. I've got a problem. There are aspects of my personality that I can't control. See you shrink. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Bruce, trust me when I tell you I've heard them all. Not this one. We've never seen anything even close to your levels of exposure. That you survived an event like that, it's beyond my comprehension. I don't want to control it. I want to get rid of it. As far as I'm concerned, that man's whole body is property of the U.S. Army. They want it as a weapon. If we let it go, we will never get it back. What was that? There's only one thing that can fight that. It's in me. Maybe if I can control it, I can use it. That's what's coming up next on the Think of Marquis Movie Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, 
email us at bankofmarquis at gmail.com. That's B-A-N-K-O-F-M-A-R-Q-U-I-S at gmail.com. And check out the website, www.bankofmarquis.com. And until next time... I'm watching you, Wazowski. Always watching.